How's everybody? Good? Great. We're working our way slowly through the book of Romans. We're in chapter 3. If you want to find your way there, that would be awesome. I'm going to tell you a story that I, I think I've told before, but it kind of fits exactly where we want to go today, so I'm going to retell it. And if you're new, then you haven't heard it. And if you are, then act like you haven't heard it, and that would be super. If you're not, whatever. I don't know. Okay, so there's a guy. I even have a picture. There's a guy, and he runs into uh, the big box store, and he goes up to the fragrance counter, and he's frantic, and it's near closing, and he says, I just remembered my wife's birthday is tomorrow. Can you show me something that I can get her? So the lady's very nice. Look at that smile. Super nice. And she hands him a bottle of perfume, and she uh, talks about it a little bit, and he goes, okay, well, what's the price? And she said, well, this bottle is $295. And he's like, no, show me something cheaper. It's like, okay. So she gives the half size of that. And same perfume, but bottle smaller, 165. Goes, nope, way too expensive. Show me something cheaper. And she shows him a $105 bottle of perfume. Nope. He said, can you sell me one of those samplers? It's <laughs> like, yeah, but it'll cost $25. And he's like, mm, no, that's too much. What I want is, I want you to show me something really, really cheap. And she reaches under the counter and hands him a mirror. That, <laughs> that is what happens in the first sort of three chapters of Romans, okay? So Paul in this book, first part of chapter one, he's saying, hey, I'm Paul. Uh, I think they probably knew him, but he's introducing himself and he's saying, I'm going to come uh, to, to Rome. Uh, he hadn't been there. And I'm gonna, uh, we're going to hang out. And I'm going to teach and then he sort of breaks into it about the middle of chapter 1 until now middle of chapter 3. So 1 to 2, 2 to 3. Two chapters worth of, hey, we're all sinners. And he starts out with rebels, rebellious people. And he said, okay, rebellious people are sinners. And everybody's like, yeah, well, we agree with that. And then he's like, okay, but it's not just rebellious people. It's also respectable people. And they're also sinners, like, oh, okay, maybe. And then he, as a Jew, he says, it's not just rebels and respectable people, it's also religious people, like us, the Jews. And now the, <laughs> that wasn't as great. The first two is like, okay, well, the Gentiles, people that aren't us, then yeah, maybe they're, they're sinners, but we are God's chosen people. And so for a couple of chapters, he's been saying, listen, yes, we're chosen, but... And so then he gets to this verse. What shall we conclude then? Are we the Jews any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. And then if you look at your Bible, if you have one, look at it, and you're going to notice something. Verse 9 is kind of a verse. And then the next few verses are they're quotations from the Old Testament so he's saying, okay, let me prove to you one more time, you who believe in the Old Testament, you believe in the Old Testament, let me pick some verses out, and I'm going to show you how sinful we really are. What the Old Testament says about us. And what he does, there's a, a strategy that the rabbis would use, and it's called the Shiraz, which means a string of pearls. And if you've ever seen a string of pearls, there's one, and then there's another, another. And he takes eight verses, and he strings them together to make an argument, hey, here are three areas in which we are really sinful. 
Everybody's sinful. You need to understand we're all sinful. And if you were in college or in high school and you ever wrote a paper, sometimes you'll read a book and at the bottom there are footnotes. This feels like footnotes to me. I've made the argument and now you're going to see the footnotes of what I've been arguing. That's kind of that's the whole gist of the verses today. And really the premise is this. We have a problem and the problem is we all have a fallen nature. The other day I was at an Airbnb and I went into the bathroom and there was this mirror and it's a magnifying mirror and it was, it was on a little arm and you could bring it to you. And evidently I found out later that's a, that's a makeup mirror. And since I have people here that do that for me, uh, I don't ever do that. But I pulled that thing close. I'm like, I'm going to check myself out. I'm going I'm to see how good this is. You know, it's a, kind of my, my notion. I'm going to look at it. Well, I just got to be frank with you. I didn't particularly like what I saw. You know, I understand why somebody who is applying makeup would like to do that. You can't fix what you can't see. I get that. I would rather live under the ignorance is bliss way of, of living with life. And so I pulled that out. Well, the verses we look at today are kind of like a magnifying mirror to show us the flaws that we all possess. We're... we're we're guilty, and we're guilty of sin. And as good a people as you are, and you all are all really great people, we're still sinners. I read about a guy the other day. He, um, he, had, he had gotten a, a, a parking ticket 44 years ago in a town called Miners, uh, Minersville, Pennsylvania. 44 years of living with the guilt of a parking ticket. And so he sends the ticket in with a $5 bill, and he says, you know, 44 years ago, I think, I think he probably, the ticket would have had the date, 44 years ago I was I parked illegally, here's, here's my fine. I'm not going to send you my information because you might want more is basically what he said. Now, the parking ticket in 44 years ago was $2, he sent $5. Today, the parking ticket would be $20, and if you had accrued interest on a $2 ticket, it would probably be worth more than $20. You see, we sort of know we're guilty, but we want to pay the least we can. It, it sort of illustrates, we, we kind of know deep inside that we're guilty, and, and guilt is, man, guilt will just, kind of all of a sudden it's there. I was reading a really interesting book the other day, reading, I mean, I, I'm listening to a book, I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. And I'm listening to this book, and in the story, I can't remember why this triggered me, but something triggered a memory. And when I was 20 years old in college, I mean, 20-year-old boys in college, they're, they're, not, they're not the brightest. They're not the nicest. And I, it was like it was yesterday. I remembered hurting someone's feelings. I knew it was going to hurt their feelings, and I did it anyway. And it was despicable, and it was disgusting, and it was, it was like, I can't believe I did that. That's, that's 40 years ago. I, I mean, I remembered something I hadn't honestly thought about for 40 years. And now all of a sudden, there it is. See, guilt is so unpleasant that we sort of have a tendency to repress it. Because if you don't repress it, you have to deal with it. So instead of dealing with it, I'll just sort of, I'll repress it. But here's the truth that Paul wants us all to understand. If I'm not a sinner, I really don't need a Savior. And Paul in this whole letter is saying, but you are, and you do. 
Because if I'm not a sinner, I really don't need a savior. If the Jews could win God's favor by doing good stuff, by obeying the law, well then they don't really need a Messiah. Maybe all the other people need a Messiah, but not me. Look, if I've got something wrong with me, if I have a cavity or if I have COVID or if I have uh, cancer, if I've got a problem, I should deal with it. I want to know. I don't want to go in for testing and then come out and say, well, you know, it's not really a cavity. And then the next thing I know, my, my tooth falls out because it's rotted. Tell me the truth and then we can deal with it. Well, this is what Paul is doing. He's kind of like a doctor. Hey, here is the truth. Guilt is the symptom. The problem is sin. And let me simplify it. We struggle with guilt because we're guilty. <laughs> this is what Paul is saying. Hey, we're guilty. So he breaks into this teaching of, all right, let me tell you how we're guilty. Let's just look at it. We have sinful minds. Look what he says. There's no one who's righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have altogether become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Yikes. And if you apply that to you, we all stink. I mean, we, we're all really not in good shape. And look at this. He uses some interesting language. We have turned away. They have become, uh, they have together become worthless. Uh, the Greek word is the word you would use if you went to the refrigerator and you got the milk out. You do that in the morning, right? You're going to get the milk out. You're going to eat some cereal. You pour the cereal in. And what do you do with the milk before you pour it in there? You smell it. Who doesn't smell their milk? Yeah, you're the man. Philip doesn't. No, he goes for it, man. Uh, living the wildlife. But so most of us, we smell it. And then if it's sour, we don't use it. In Kentucky, we have an expression for that. We say it's turnt. I, I don't know why, uh, but it's turnt. Uh, maybe I'll say that too. So what, what he's saying here is we all kind of have a character that's turnt. And, and then he does another thing. This is really interesting. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, you English people, do you remember, I mean, I know you all speak English, but when you, went to, when you had a class in English, when we, when we went to English class, when I was in high school, I had a teacher, and she talked about double negatives. You remember that? So a double negative cancels itself out. In fact, I'll quote to you what she said to me. Don't never use no double negatives. That's what my teacher said. All right? Don't never use no double negatives. All right, a double negative cancels itself out. By the way, um, many examples of this in classic rock and roll. I can't get no satisfaction, double negative. Ain't no mountain high enough, double negative. Uh, we don't need no education, obviously you do, double negative. <laughs> Ain't no sunshine when she's gone, yeah there is, double negative. All right, so what Paul employs here is a triple negative. He, he's basically saying, <laughs> not never nobody is guilt-free. Everybody is guilty. Now, you're thinking, I think this too. Yeah, but I'm not too bad. I mean, you're probably thinking that. I'm not too bad. Or I've known people that aren't too bad. How can nobody, how can there be not never nobody who hasn't sinned or who, ha who isn't righteous. It doesn't seem right. J Jesus was confronted with this question one time. And look at what he says. 
He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do my Father's will. Many will say to me on that day, and on that day he's talking about judgment day. Many will say to me on judgment day, Lord, Lord, have, you not, have we not prophesied in your name, and by your name cast out demons, and by your name done wonderful works, many wonderful works? And then I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. And evidently, it is possible to do wonderful works by our judgment that God considers iniquity. And I don't exactly know what iniquity is, but I'm real sure it ain't good. And he's saying, look, that's, that's us. You... Our judgment of things and God's judgment of things might not be the same. You say, well, he gave a big sum of money to that children's hospital, or she has given all this money to help the poor. Those are great things. But if they're done for the wrong motive, maybe it's for self-acclaim. Well, then Jesus will say someday, depart from me, you who work iniquity. We have, we don't think right, is what Paul is saying. He says it's not just our minds that are sinful. Our mouths are sinful. I ought to be getting an amen. Amen. All right. So their throats are open. It's like it's almost like this is like a boxer. It's a punch and a punch and a punch. He, four times he says it, basically the same thing. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Boom, 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 boom. Now, let's kind of go through them just a little bit. The, the other day, I was a little sick, and I went to the doctor. I haven't had this done for a long time, but they have a thing called a tongue depressor, big popsicle stick, right? And I came in, and this doctor kind of wheeled up to me, and he said, uh, open your mouth and say, ah. And then he did the tongue depressing thing. And what basically what Paul is saying here is, if you want to know what's going on inside, think about what you say. Think about your, your, what, what you, how you speak, because how you speak is really who you are. So he says, their throats are open graves. It's kind of a, an indelicate image. Open graves, well, that's smelly putrid and rotting. I mean, it's kind of not nice. And if you have bad breath, you can, you can gargle with scope. But what if, you have, what if you have grave breath? What if the words that come out of your mouth are, are just not right? And then he says, their, their tongues practice deceit. And have you noticed, have you ever noticed, you don't have to teach a kid to lie. I've got four daughters, pretty sure they've all lied. I've never taught them to lie. Miriam, well, maybe. Uh, but, but I, not me, I've never been in par- a part of that. Uh, in fact, let me show you a great example of that. This guy's name is Jack. Did you eat cupcake? You didn't eat cupcake? You sure you didn't eat cupcake? No. Hmm. I thought you maybe had a cupcake. No. No? Definitely not? No. Not like in the last couple minutes? No cupcake for Jack? No. Oh, okay. I think Jack's a liar. Uh, I mean, good grief. It reminds me of that old joke, how do you tell if a politician is lying? The answer is their lips are moving. But it's not just politicians. We all say things that are false. 
Then he says, okay, it's not just that. It's not just their throats and their tongues. The poison of vipers is on their lips. And they would have gotten this because they have a snake there called the eastern adder. And just like, kind of like our rattlesnake, they have fangs, and, and the fangs are like hypodermic needles, and they have a, a sack of poison in their mouth. And if they're calm, no worries, but if they are uh, aggravated and they want to strike, when they strike, they, they inject those, they, they pierce your skin with those hypodermic needle fangs, and they uh, inject poison, uh, venom into your bodies. And, and we have this tendency to... To say things, I don't know, I mean, I know most of you have progressed spiritually to a certain level of maturity that this never happens for you, but I'm just going to confess. Occasionally, I'll say things under my breath, like somebody cuts me off driving. I don't say, God bless you. I say something else. If I hit my thumb with a hammer, mm, it's not praise the Lord. It's something else. If nobody's around, I don't say it out loud. If I'm by myself, sometimes it comes out. This is what he's talking about. Look, it's like a volcano. It's under the surface. We, we hold it down most of the time, but occasionally, occasionally. Have you ever said to yourself, I can't believe I said that? Yeah, because we all do it. I can't believe I did that. Yeah, because we all do it. The fourth part, basically, this is an overview. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. This is 2,000 years ago. It's, in fact, he's quoting, he wrote it 2,000 years ago. It's from earlier than that. It is really interesting to me. And I don't, I don't want to stand up here and, and act like a grumpy old man, but when I was younger till today, America has gotten progressively more vulgar. We're sort of desensitized to it. When I was a young man in my teens, I would go down to the park and play basketball. And when we played basketball down at the park, the clientele at the park sometimes used salty language. This was part of the game. And, you know, you go to the park, and if you win, you get to stay on the court. But if you lose, you have to step off, and next man, you know, next game up, and that kind of thing. And here's what I know. It's almost like secondhand smoke. I would, I would get secondhand words in my mind. And now all of a sudden, if something happened to me, well, those words I heard at the park, now that's part of my vocabulary. And I have to really watch it. And I find that even today that happens. If I'm watching uh, something uh, where that kind of language is used, it kind of gets in there. It sort of gets in the Rolodex. It gets in the system. It's now part of, part of, uh, part of me. And, and that's what he's talking about. It, it becomes part of us. North Carolina did some research on this, University of North Carolina, and they found that rudeness in the workplace costs at least $6.4 billion a year and maybe as much as $36 billion a year. We have sinful minds. We don't think right. We have sinful mouths. It's really not much of an argument because we kind of all know it. And he says there's one more thing. We have sinful manners. Their feet are swift to shed blood. There's a, a professor at the University of Hawaii named Leon James, and he talked about, he did some research on, he writes about this, about um, road rage. 
road rage. And he calculates that road, road, road wage, uh, as Elmer Fudd would say, <laughs> road rage, uh, it's hard to say. It's hard. This job is hard. You laugh. Okay, we'll get up here. <laughs> so I said road wage. All right. <laughs> get over yourselves. Okay. Road rage. Uh, he, he calculates that road rage uh, is responsible for about $160 billion a year. And then he did some research. He started looking at headlines. He found sidewalk rage, air rage, flight rage. And now I noticed on television there are lots of war-like uh, like, uh, programming um, that's about people who have conflict. Well, there's parking wars, road wars, customer wars, neighborhood wars, Christmas wars, star wars. That's where astrologers fight. I think, I don't know. I know it's not that, it's just to be funny. Okay, it is amazing to me that a text written thousands of years ago is so incredibly ac- uh, applicable. Their feet are swift to shed blood. We are so easy to, I mean, even if we don't shed blood, we, we have cancel culture. If somebody says something I don't like or somebody does something I don't like, well, then I'll rally the troops and we'll just try to cancel that person. Same thing. See, we, we have sinful minds and mouths. We have sinful actions, our manners. And this leads to something, and it's called misery. And he says, ruin and misery mark their ways. Ruin and misery mark their ways. I love our church I like that we have kind of, we're marked by joy. This is kind of a, a good place to be. People enjoy each other. But in Scripture it says, you, you who are Christians should get along. Look, I've got four daughters, and one of the best things they give me is when they get along. When they, were, they get along great now, they're older, but when they were kids, one of the things we wanted most for them is just for them to get along. And, and, and Jesus has said to us, just get along. I've been in some churches, I swear to you, I think they were baptized in pickle juice. They are so sour. My beautiful, sweet wife one time sat in somebody's pew. Mm. She wasn't having none of it. My wife, the preacher's wife, she tapped on the shoulder and she said, you're sitting in my pew. Sitting in my pew. And Miriam is so nice, and I knocked that lady out later, but still. Uh, <laughs> what nice. What nice. Look at what it says. The way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. No peace, no fear. And in Proverbs it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And we think, when I think of fear, I think of, does this say I should be afraid of God? It's not that. We should should change that. Because the meaning is really be in awe of God. And we've lost awe. We've lost it. This is part of the problem. I'm not awed by anything because I've seen everything. This 14 square inches of entertainment that's at my disposal 24 hours a day, seven days a week, can cause me to not have any awe. You know where I see awe? You know where I'm awe-filled? It's hard to replicate the mountains, the awe of the mountains, on a 14-inch square-inch screen. 
or the ocean or the fog or a storm, electrical storm, <laughs> something, it's just something. I, I see people experience all occasionally. Sometimes I'm doing a wedding and I'm the officiant and the groom is right here and I'm standing here and the bride comes around the corner. Man, there's, that is a scene right there. And most people, their eyes are on the bride. I'm looking at the groom because I want to see his expression. It's awe or fear. I don't know. Uh, feels like awe. Pretty sure it's all. Uh, grandparents with grandbabies. Oh, it's all. They feel it. So when it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, he's saying, look, we, we've lost the awe, the way of peace we don't know. We've lost the awe of God. And he is... He's awesome, and he's worthy of awe. And Paul is saying, okay, well, this is, the, this is the mirror, this is the picture of the human heart. We're sinners by nature and by choice. And then he kind of wraps it up. God's law exposes our sin. Obviously, he says, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. To keep people from having excuses. You might know the name Charles Colson, Chuck Colson. He was part of Nixon's group that uh, was involved in Watergate. He was convicted. He was sent to prison. While in prison, he became a Christian. He wrote a book uh, called um, Born Again. He started something called Prison Fellowship. It's a great organization. They help convicts. But one of the things Colson said about being in the prisons is that his estimation is 90% of the people he talked to said, I shouldn't be here. I didn't do it. I was framed. Somebody was out to get me. What Paul is saying is the law keeps us from making excuses because excuse is part of the human condition. Uh, Elise plays volleyball, and I've been to a thousand volleyball games, a million volleyball games. And one of the fun things, one of the things that makes me, it always makes me giggle when this happens. So there'll, there'll be a girl, and she's serving and she serves it like into the net or under the net or to the side. So you understand if you're not a volleyball person, the object is to get it over the net. That's all you got to do. And so she'll serve it in the net and she'll go, my bad. And I think to myself, yeah. <laughs> Serving isn't a team activity, right? There's you, the ball, and the net. That's, that's, all, that's all the people that are involved is you. But it always kind of cracks me up. My bad. And every, every time I see it, I go, mm, yeah, uh, absolutely you're bad. And, and Paul is saying, okay, well, there's a time in your life where you need to go, mm, my bad. I, I'm, I'm bad. Uh, there's stuff in my life that just, I'm, I'm just a sinner. He's exposing us to our sin. Look, if you don't know, if you don't know, how can you be accountable so the other day, last month, I was really sick. I had a temperature for three days. Miriam made me a doctor's appointment. I went to the doctor's office. I walked in. Evidently, I was supposed to go in a side door for lepers, you know. Uh, but 
I didn't know this. Nobody informed me. So I walk in the regular door where all the regular people are, and I told the receptionist who I was. She went white. She rolls away from the counter. She hits a button, and alarm bells go off. Whoop, whoop, whoop. A plexiglass thing comes down. A dude in a hazmat suit comes out and tases me. I mean, it was mayhem. Well, I didn't know. How would I know? And she said, you, you have to go around to the side. They're like, okay, all right, man. It's all good. And then I coughed on her, and I went the way I was supposed to. God's law shows us that we're sinners. Now, we have this excuse. Everybody has this excuse. Well, I'm not as bad as Charles Manson. I'm not as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm not like a Duke fan. You know, I'm not that bad. I'm not like that. The problem is the standard isn't Jeffrey Dahmer or Charles Manson or Duke fans. The standard is higher than that. So now he gets into good news. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. We are in trouble. The law is the test you take to see what's wrong. So I had that fever. I got in the back room. The doctor came in. She had a mask on. She had, a, she had I mean, it was like full Barty armor. I mean, I, she, she sort of touched me with a 10-foot pole. And then she had an assistant come in, and they swabbed my nose. That is a good time, uh, swabbing the nose. Uh, they swabbed my nose not once, not twice, four times, four swabs. One swab was to check for flu, one swab was to check for RSV, two swabs, because you have to have special things to, to swab for COVID. The law is the swab. And, and here's, here's the problem. There's a diagnosis. All humanity has a raging case of sin. This, all of this first part of Romans is, hey, all of us have a raging case of sin. But God's law exposes our sin. God's love provides a cure. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. But now. But, but now is like the hinge on a door. There was this, but now it's this. I'm opening the door to something else. And think about how you use it. Honey, I I was stuck in traffic, but now we're moving and I'll be home shortly. Honey, I went to McDonald's to get ice cream, but the machine was broken. Yeah, revelation. But now I'm at Wendy's getting a Frosty. I used to be a Cowboys fan, but now I'd rather have a root canal, a colonoscopy, and watch the complete... And watch the complete list of every Barbie movie. Uh, But now, it's all different. Everything's changed. That's the but now here. There, There was, we're all really guilty of sin, but now, God made a way. There's something better. There's something much, much better. I'm gonna end with a story. Everybody know who this is? Steve Jobs, right? 
He was the co-founder of Apple. Um, he did many other ventures, incredibly smart, incredibly brilliant, just a really sharp guy, right? Macintosh computers, the iPod, the, the uh, iPad, and then Pixar, and just other things. He just was involved in lots and lots of stuff. In 2005, he went to the doctor, and he had kidney stones, and while they were uh, taking an x-ray of that, his doctor noticed that he had a shadow on his pancreas. They did further research, and they found that he had an early case of pancreatic cancer. In a way, it was good news, because if you find that quickly enough, you know, pancreatic cancer is devastating for most people. I think I, I did some research on this. The survival rate, 13 to 16%. It's not great. But there are different forms, different kinds. He had the most treatable kind if you catch it early, which he did. His doctors advised him to get the cancer removed as quickly as possible. Now, money wasn't an issue. Steve Jobs at the time was worth about $116 billion with a B. He, though... He was a self-made man. I mean, he basically created an empire out of nothing. And so, for nine months, he says, no, I don't want to have that surgery. I don't want to have that invasive surgery. I'm going to, I'm going to, he basically did his own research on the internet and found alternative cures. Uh, he became a vegan for a while, um, colon cleanse, uh, acupuncture. He even contacted a psychic. Nine months in, after nine months of delay, after nine months of allowing the cancer to spread, then he had the surgery, but by that time, it was too late. Now, I don't blame him for that. Look, doctors aren't always right. Maybe he had a better way. I don't know. I mean... It's his body, he can choose. But experts say if he had have gone ahead and done something immediately, then something might have been able, I mean, it might have been very positive for him. Toward the end of his life, he begins to think about the afterlife. I mean, he kind of knows he's not winning this battle. And so in an interview, he said, sometimes I'm 50-50 on whether there's a God. It's the great mystery we never quite know, but I like to believe there is an afterlife. I like to believe the accumulated wisdom doesn't just disappear when you die. And then he said, but maybe it's like an on-off switch and click, you're gone. And then he ended with this, kind of with a little smile. Maybe that's why I didn't like putting on-off switches on Apple devices. And Jobs died on October the 5th, 2011. All of religion tries to answer the question, how do I appease God so that in the afterlife I'm not in torment? That, that is the question all of religion asks. doesn't matter which religion. Everybody's asking the same question. I'm going to die. How do I make sure that's not a bad thing? That God is appeased and that I get to spend the afterlife not in a bad place. Now, the conclusion... Almost every religion comes up with is if you do enough good stuff, and then they define the good stuff like candles, give alms, um, say prayers, join this, do that, 
If you do these things, then God will be appeased and you have a good existence in eternity. Everybody but Christianity. Paul says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right without doing something We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Finally, you're a sinner, 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 you're a sinner. Oh, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. It's like Oprah. We all are sinners. Uh, It's like we're sinners. Yeah. But now, let's talk about the good stuff. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus. And anybody can do it, no matter who you are. This is the gospel. And it is awesome. If I don't know I'm a sinner, I don't know I need a Savior. But I am. And I do. And there's one provided. Father, Thank you for awesome news. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that we don't have to earn your love. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the book of Romans. Man, it is complex and hard sometimes, but you're giving it to us so we can understand it, and we appreciate it. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.